Hi, Chris Valentin here. Super excited about Kathy Valentin's brand new book. Uh, it's her first book, The Good, The God, and The Ugly. And it's really a story about a supernatural family, which is kind of ours. Uh, it's available for pre-order. And if you pre-order it in celebration of her first book, she's hosting a three-day digital summit. And everyone who pre-orders can register and actually be on that summit for free. Register on kathyvelaton.com. And it's a, a three-day exclusive behind-the-scenes conversation on supernatural parenting, marriage, and servanthood. And also, for the first 1,000 people who register, we're going to do a question-answer live. So you can ask questions right there. God bless you. Super excited. Pre-order the book. Help Kathy get the word out. Would you grab a hand and let's pray? <laughs> it's going to come to that. Lord, <laughs> we thank you for uh, we thank you for fun. We thank you for what you're doing all around the world. Lord, we thank you for the testimony of Jesus, which is the spirit of prophecy. We thank you for the, all the miraculous things that you're doing in us and through us and among us. And we we pray for more of that, God. We pray for more miracles. We pray for more people's lives changed. We pray for the testimony that Tom shared tonight, that that would be repeated hundreds and thousands of times, that you would save marriages, that you would save lives, that you would deliver people from all sorts of addictions. Lord, and we just, we just release that over people right now, people watching by Bethel TV. We just pray that get touched deeply, Lord. We pray that you would, that you would touch people deeply, down, right down into their identity, right down into their identity in you that you would re-identify us as a, as a people of God, as a holy people. You bless what you're doing in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you put up uh, one hour up there, please? I'm lose track of time. Thank you very much. Well, tonight I want to talk about nothing's impossible with God. So why don't you just turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're just going to read a little bit about the about Mary and... Um, a little bit about the angel that visited Mary. So verse 26, we'll start there. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth also has conceived a son in her old age, and she, has, she, who, has been, who, she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Can we just say that together? For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing would be impossible with God. I love this, uh, obviously, for all the reasons that you would know. But I love that Jesus came into the world through a miraculous birth. Um, it's only happened one time in the history of the world. <laughs> the chances of it happening again are like zero. <laughs> a virgin gets pregnant by God himself. God and humanity get together and have Jesus. He was fully God and fully man. His mother is obviously fully human. His father, fully God. And we have Jesus. The son of God becomes the son of man so that sons of men could become sons of God. What a beautiful picture we have. Jesus comes into the world through a miracle, but that, just, that becomes a catalyst for his entire life. He's not just born into a miracle, but he becomes a miracle. And, he, and then he does miracles and he reproduces miracles, and then he empowers people to do miracles. It's, it's such a beautiful picture that in his birth, his very birth, the way he came into the world was a miracle. And, um, I, and let's turn to John chapter 3. I wanna, we're going to read quite a bit of scripture. 
in the uh, noon session, I said, I want to apologize for reading so much scripture. And I'm like, that was stupid. Don't do that again. So I did it. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I love this part. We know you're a teacher because you can do signs and wonders. How many understand? He didn't say, I know you're a teacher because your teaching is so amazing. He said, we know you're a teacher because of the signs that you do, because of the miracles you do. You must be a teacher because you can do miracles. How many know Jesus wasn't famous for teaching just because he had great messages, but because his messages actually worked? (laughs) Because he actually could change people. Because he could change people's circumstances. Because the miracle he was born into flowed through him, and he did miracles around, around him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly I say to you, unless you, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, and you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, said, are you the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify of what we've seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I love this, but I wanted to point out something that Jesus came into the world through a miracle, and because he came in, or, be, or, or because he came into the world through a miracle, he did miracles. So his life itself was a miracle from the beginning, from its conception, from its very conception. Jesus' life was a miracle. Jesus wasn't just a miracle worker. Jesus himself, his life was a miracle. But I'd like to point out too that everyone who's born again also comes into the kingdom through the same kind of miracle. Not through a virgin birth, of course, but the fact is is that you can't get into the kingdom unless you're born again. Nicodemus, uh, quite quite an astute teacher, an intelligent man, he says to Jesus, like, how can a man be born when he's old? Like, how, and he's trying to work out this, 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 teaching that Jesus is sharing. And remember, Nicodemus is, at this point, he doesn't know the Lord well, but he, he admires him. He comes at night, and he's, this is the first account of Nicodemus coming to Jesus. And so Jesus is building a relationship with this guy, and this, this man's quite intelligent, and he's, he's honest. He's telling Jesus, I, I, you know, he, you can feel he has a sense. He, he wants to understand, how can this happen? He's not like the, one of the, he is a Pharisee, but he's not like a, the unbelieving Pharisee who's trying to make fun of Jesus or trying to catch Jesus in some kind of teaching that doesn't make sense. He's earnestly like, I, how could this happen? I, how, if I have to be born again to see the kingdom, how, how, how would I do that? Could I, I couldn't go back into my mother's womb. And he begins to recount to Jesus the, the questions he has about the birth, the new birth, the second birth, if you will. And Jesus goes on to tell him, if you, being a great teacher in Israel, don't understand earthly things, how could I tell you heavenly things? And, and what, what I'm getting at is this, is that when we receive Jesus Christ and we become born again, how many of you know that we were actually born by a miracle? We were actually entered into the kingdom through a miracle. It's not by our works, but by His. You can't get in by your works. In fact, the only way you can get into the kingdom is actually to be born into the kingdom. Like, you can't even get into the kingdom if you're a good person. You can't even get into the kingdom by doing good works. You can't be get into the kingdom if you never sin, which obviously everybody has. But that, nothing could get you in because the only way to get into the kingdom is actually to be born into the kingdom. Are you following me? 
And I'm saying it was by a miraculous birth that you were reborn into the kingdom. And Nicodemus is trying to understand that. And Jesus begins to talk to him about this, this earthly, you know, he, uh, this is really uh, Bill's teaching, but I'm stealing it. If you're part of the family, you get to borrow everything that's in the garage. That's what happens in my world, at least. I noticed my cutoff saw is gone this week and doesn't have a note anywhere. So one of my kids evidently broke in. But this, Jesus says to him, if I tell you things that have an earthly parallel, I'm born once and now I can be born again. I'm giving you an example. I'm using an earthly example to talk to you about a spiritual truth. You were born once, and in order to, and you, when you were born once, you were born into this world. And the only way to get into the kingdom is to be born another time, born again. If I tell you, if I, Nicodemus, if I tell you something that has an earthly parallel, how would I ever tell you something that has no earthly parallel? How would I tell you a heavenly thing? If you think this is deep, there are things that have no earthly parallels whatsoever. And I, I want to say that, I want to just start the teaching by saying, what is a miracle? A miracle, you know, sometimes we say, my son took out the garbage, it's a miracle, he's 14. <laughs> you know, we just, and that's the person that's got their hands raised the highest that morning, like, Jesus is alive. What happened? My son took out the garbage by himself. Oh, my Lord. It was beautiful. We both fell down in the spirit and wept for hours, you know. And, and, you know, we're like, that's a miracle. And we all know, like, that's amazing. But really, a miracle is something that defies the laws of nature, right? A miracle, I mean, the real definition of a miracle isn't Johnny took the garbage out. That could happen, even though it's not likely, But a miracle isn't something that's not likely. A miracle is something that defies the laws of nature, laws of physics, right? And so so Jesus, when we receive Jesus, we receive Jesus in a way that defies the laws of physics. We can't go back into our mother's womb and be born again, and yet we actually became born again through through a law that transcends the laws of physics. Now, before we get any deeper in this teaching, I'd like to propose that God is the God of order. That, that every kingdom that God is God over is not chaotic. Like God is not the author of chaos and he's not the author of confusion. But when God created the earth, he put into motion a law of physics, right? And we, and we were like, and, and things are, quote, logical. The seen world is, quote, logical, right? And so scientists live with this pressure that if you can see it, there's got to be logic to it. And the core is that, that literally that nature, the natural world, actually has um, a predictable root, for lack of a better word. Are you following me at all? You're like, no. And I'd propose that the world that God lives in, the spirit world that God has created, or I'd say God lives in both realms, but the world, the dimension of the kingdom, also has a law. Similar to the law of physics, it's not total chaos. Like, it is a law. And when Jesus, as we're going to look at it in just a few minutes, when Jesus healed somebody... He often called the healing a sign. These are the signs that Jesus did. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. And the question is, why is it a sign? Like, why isn't it just a healing? I mean, when Jesus healed somebody, why does the Bible say, and why does Jesus repeat, and why do people around him say, well, that was a sign? A sign of what? You know, if, if I went to the doctor and had some terminal, terminal disease, and I went through a medical procedure, and I got well, I wouldn't say, well, that's a sign. But Jesus says, that's a sign. And when a man answers a question, Jesus asks him, well, he goes, the kingdom's near you. When somebody 
When Jesus sends the disciples out to heal him, he goes, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and say, the kingdom has come near you. And my point is, why is healing, or any of these things I just mentioned, why are they a sign? And I propose it's because of the way that God heals. When God does a supernatural healing, the way God heals is that a superior kingdom superimposes itself over an inferior kingdom. So not only... Did they get healed? Are you with me? But the reason they got healed is because a superior kingdom actually influenced an inferior kingdom. Are you with me? And now why is that important? Because a healing isn't supposed to just be a healing. It's supposed to be an invitation for you to step through the invisible wall into a superior kingdom. So that you don't just get a miracle, but you become one. (laughs) Okay, we'll move on. But... Think of it this way. The law of gravity. The law of gravity? How do planes fly? See, if I only understand the law of gravity, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and I see something heavy that I can't lift, and it, it's, it's flying. How many know that the, the, the planes fly because the law of lift transcends the law of gravity? Right? So... If I jump off of here, back when I was a kid, I put cardboard wings on. Anyone else ever do that? I got up on my roof and I'm like, I'm going to be like a bird. I'm going to be like a bird. I'm going to be, I'm not like a bird. (laughs) There were some other elements besides faith that went in there. I jumped off the roof and I was more like a rock than a bird. And I'm a lot more rocky now than I was in those days. My point is, is that planes fly, birds fly, Because the law of lift is greater than the law of gravity. So when I see a plane flight, and I understand this is is the laws of physics, I get it. It, It's in the natural world. But I'm using it to illustrate something. I understand it breaks down at some place. But I'm using it to illustrate the fact that planes fly because the law of gravity overcomes, I'm sorry, the law of lift overcomes the law of gravity. And that's why I fly through the air and I flew to Brazil and back in the air. I'm flying in the air. I'm like, I have this thing, you know, that, this thing that's made out of metal that weighs, I don't know how many tons, is flying through the air. I don't know if that still astonishes you. I remember the first few times I got on a plane, I'm like, I hope this all works. Because <laughs> I was only familiar with the law of gravity. What I'm getting at is this, when somebody gets healed, it's a metaphor now, follow me, The law of lift overcame the law of gravity. In this case, the higher law of the kingdom. How many understand in the kingdom of God, there's there's no sickness. There being no more tears. There's no sadness. There's no death. And just go on and on and on. Like, what's happening? When somebody gets healed, is the kingdom came near. And the kingdom, with the superior Law of physics overcame an inferior law of physics. And God says, that healing is a door. It's a door to another dimension. You can come in. I know I'm right about this. I preached it once and liked almost the entire message. Oh, well. Um, Matthew chapter 17, verse 19. Then Jesus, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why can we not drive this demon out? And so let me just tell you the backstory. So Jesus and three of his favorite disciples go up on the mountain to the Mount Transfiguration. And while he's up there with Peter, James, and John, the nine of his disciples are trying to cast a demon out of a boy. Do you remember the story? His father brings him to, father brings this boy, who's demonized to this this fought to, this, uh, to the disciples. They can't cast them out. Jesus comes down from the mountain, casts the demons out, and just about the time, you know, and so, so now Jesus' disciples are talking to Jesus afterwards while they're walking, and he said, why, they say, why can't we drive out these demons? And he said, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it, will be, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Let me read the last part again. 
For I say to you, if you say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move and nothing, say this with me, and nothing will be impossible to you. Say it this way, nothing will be impossible to me. Nothing will be impossible to me. So the disciples are like, how come we couldn't do that? Like, we, you know, we tried. And Jesus said, because of the littleness of your faith. For I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. I always was concerned about this passage because I'm like, Jesus is saying, because of the littleness of your faith. And if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could move a mountain. And you guys couldn't cast a demon out because yours was smaller than that. Have you ever wondered about that? Like Jesus just got done saying, well, Jesus says to them, you couldn't cast them out because of your little sin of faith. That, you know, if you had faith just the size of a mustard seed. But the word littleness there actually is the word brief. Jesus wasn't saying your faith was too small. He was saying you didn't keep it in there long enough. He wasn't saying... Your faith was smaller than a mustard seed. He was saying, you didn't leave it in the fight long enough to win. Are you with me? It doesn't take much faith to move mountains, but it takes persistent faith. I love this generation. I mean, I really am in love with the millennials. Half my school is millennials. Half our school is millennials. I, I, I love the millennials. They are the most brilliant, most creative, most innovative generation to ever grace the, this planet. I'm, I'm not saying that as an encouragement. I'm saying they learn so quickly that literally you can buy a product today and a year from now, a year from now, it's already obsolete. You can get a four-year education in technology and graduate. And when you graduate, you're three years behind. That's how fast technology is growing. It's, it's, it's the millennials that have inspired this incredible knowledge, this incredible invention, innovation. I mean, it's just amazing. And we all get to benefit from it. The only challenge I have with the millennials is they quit too soon. And I was thinking the other day, and I've thought this many times actually, what if the millennials connected to my grandfather's generation? What if God joined the generations and those who went through the depression connected with those who invented the computer? I mean, what would happen if you had faith, if you had faith of of the millennials and you had the persistence of my grandfather? Think about what you could do if you didn't quit. Think of what you, what you could do if you had that persistent history will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. <laughs> that Winston Churchill kind of, we will fight them in the air. We will fight them on the land. We will fight them in the sea. We, you know, what would happen if you had that persistent? See, something, I'm glad we live in a time of peace. We're going to talk about that in a minute. I'm glad we live generally in a time of peace. But something does get forged in you in a time of war. And if you can keep that thing that's forging you, that persistence that, that, that I, 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 I'm get her done, that I don't quit. Weary but pursuing. Knocked down but not destroyed. If you can get that thing mixed into nothing's impossible with God, you could change the world. I propose we should. In Luke chapter 8, verse 22, another great story. I think this is one of Bill's favorite stories. Now, one of those days, Jesus and his disciples got into a boat and said to them, let us go to the other side of the lake. Everybody say, let us go go. to the other side of the lake. This was the command of Jesus. What was the command? Let us go to the other side of the lake. So they launched out, and as they were sailing along, he fell asleep And a fierce gale wind descended on the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. Now, you know, at least four of these guys are fishermen, so we're talking about a pretty serious storm. 
they came to Jesus and woke him up saying, Master, Master, are you perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and the surging waves, and they stopped and it became calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? (laughs) And they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Now, let me just say, first of all, most of this teaching I also got from Bill. Most of everything I have (laughs) was birthed in Jesus through Bill. (laughs) I've been with Bill so long. This is our 40th year together. I have messages I think are mine, and then I find an old set of notes, and I'm like, oh, that wasn't even my original quote. (laughs) People give me credit for quotes he's shared. But then again, they give him credit for quotes Jesus has shared. (laughs) (laughs) this is an odd story from lots of different for lots of different reasons they wake jesus up and say don't you care that we're perishing and the connotation is do something about this he calms the sea tells the wind to stop and the sea to be quiet he calms the sea and then here's their response who is this then that commands even the winds and water and they obey him And my point is, why would you wake him if you didn't think he could do something? I think this is how most people pray. I don't really expect anything, but we probably should wake him. Like, let's not drown alone. (laughs) I have a feeling that they didn't wake him up in great faith. I have a feeling they're like, we're drowning and you're sleeping. If if we're drowning, you're drowning. (laughs) It's kind of that misery loves company. And then Jesus actually solves the problem. They're like... Who is this man who calms the sea? And I'm like, why the heck did you wake him if you didn't think he could calm the sea? But the point that the bill makes is you can only have power over the storm you have peace in. And has been mentioned many times, they wake Jesus up. How many would, how many know Jesus is God? There's several who are not raised their hands on it. I'm just hoping those aren't Bethel School Ministry students. It's okay if you come in not raising your hand, but you should go out like raising your hand. So they're drowning, and they wake up Jesus and say, Don't you care that we're drowning? And then Jesus says, Where's your faith? And I'm like, In you. Well, the friend we have in Jesus. And Jesus, I mean, thankfully, Jesus takes care of the problem, but then he rebukes them. Where's your faith? Uh Uh-huh. Tell them, Thomas. (laughs) Tell them where our faith is, Thomas. I doubt it. I mean, the... Do you see what I'm getting at? Like, this is a very odd story from many different perspectives. Where's your faith? Well, we didn't call on Buddha. I mean, Thomas wanted to. Tell him, Tom. Confess right here. I mean, we, 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 we woke you up. I mean, virtually we prayed. And the point is this, is that Jesus calmed the storm that they had authority to calm. And sometimes we're asking Jesus to do stuff that we're supposed to do. (laughs) Sometimes we're asking God to calm a storm and he said, I put you here to grow. (laughs) Okay. It's worked better when Bill shared it. <laughs> the greatest deterrent to faith is not doubt, it's fear. Let me say it again. The greatest deterrent to faith, in my mind, is not doubt. You remember, a guy comes to Jesus and he said, You know, can you do this? And Jesus said, Yes, if you believe. He said, I believe, but help me with my doubt. I mean, he still got what he wanted. But fear keeps you from asking. I'm convinced that fear is probably the greatest practical, practically, I understand what I'm about to say is not 
theologically accurate, but I'm talking about the daily, our daily walk. It's probably the most practical, socially accepted sin in the body of Christ. I understand there's worse things, but I'm saying more people do not come into their destiny because of fear than probably anything else. Think about it. The sons of Israel came out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. What kept them out of the land of promise? Now, they, they worshiped false idols. They had some immoral things happen in their life. There was some really bad stuff that happened in the wilderness, right? But what's the one thing that actually kept them out of the promised land? Fear. Fear. They refused to believe because they were afraid. I wonder what you would do if you were ten times bolder. If it's one thing you're not doing now, fear has reduced you. If you were ten times bolder, if you could answer this question any differently than what you're doing now, if, I, if God said to you, what would you do if you're ten times bolder? If there's one thing that you would be doing if you were ten times bolder, it means fear has reduced you. I'm convinced that what's called wisdom is often fear dressed up in a Superman costume. I think that what's called wisdom is often fear dressed up in a Superman costume. The, some of the most fearful people in the world are wearing no fear shirts. <laughs> I'm not afraid. Why are you wearing that shirt then? <laughs> this is like walking around with something that says, I'm a man. Okay, glad you clarified that. John 14, 11. Why don't you turn there? John 14, verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to be with the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you, ask me anything, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's crazy. So this is, this is our calling. Jesus said to Disciples, if you don't believe me on account of my words, you don't like my message, you're not impressed by my preaching, then believe me on account of my works. Because the works that I do are not my own, but they're the Father working through me. And greater works will you do when I go to be with the Father. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it for you. Well, the word anything there doesn't mean anything. It means any thing. So let's be clear that the original Greek means some things all the time and other things often. I don't know. You ever hear people like, I, I, I don't read commentaries very often because I, and I used to read them when I was a young believer. The commentary would begin with something like the book of Peter would be. Now, some think that Peter wrote this and other people think he didn't and the, and the book opens up with Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ I'm like I don't think you have much to say to me like I I'm like I've been a believer for two years and I've figured out Pete wrote that book <laughs> like if you're not going to believe then you know don't believe but don't write a commentary on the bible <laughs> I'm so sorry has anyone else read commentaries like that I'm like uh, well, you know, the Red Sea didn't really part. And this is the commentary. I'm like, this is a commentary from the theologian. I'm like, you know, the word became flesh and dwell among us. And through theologians, it became just words again. <laughs> and I want to be clear, like, I like theology as long as it's actually real theology. Not a philosophy that masquerades as theology. Jesus said, <laughs> and your point is, <laughs> oh, I forgot it. <laughs> Whoa. 
<laughs> tighter. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, that's amazing. How many of you are going through troubles? You have any kind of trouble in your life? Awesome. It's not even a trouble. If you ask him anything in my name, yeah, but not this thing. What thing? If you ask him anything in my name, I will do it for you. I mean, that's a stress reliever. Reliever. <laughs> in first service, I was trying to say transcendent, and I kept saying transient. And Jesus, I said five times, Jesus has a transient ministry. And the front row was like, transcendent. I'm like, so I repeated it again because I thought maybe they didn't hear me. Jesus has a transient ministry. <laughs> they're like, you don't like theologians, but you ought to read one of those books. And <laughs> we were born to release hope in people. Like, this is what we do. Like, we believe anything's possible. Listen to this, Isaiah 2. Now it will come about in the last days. Do we live in the last days? I don't know. We live in the more last days than they were yesterday. People write me all the time. Do you believe we live in the last days? Definitely more last than yesterday. It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between nations and he'll render decisions between many peoples and they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Look at this. I love this last verse. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. People are like, that's in the millennium. What if it isn't? What if God has decreed a time of peace? And you're living in the right in the middle of it. And the only reason you don't experience it, because you don't believe it. See, I think bad theology can ruin a really perfect, epic season. <laughs> I think bad eschatology can take you out of peace and put you in war when you should be peaceful. You know, Paul said that if you judge the world... <laughs> He said, who do you think you are to judge the world? What part do you have in judging the world? And the only judgment that we get to have is among our own congregation, our own fellowship. How many know if somebody's committing adultery in your own fellowship, that should matter to the rest of the body. <laughs> but the world, we love the world. Our obligation is to love the world. God gave the world choices. But how many understand that the only way people know well, let me just read you Romans 10. I love this. But what does this mean? The word of God is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we have preached, that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For from the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. From the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture said, um, verse 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe if they have not heard? And how will they hear if there is no preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How many understand that our challenge is not with a group of people. It's with the fact that you take away, whenever you say, when I, if I'm like this, I, was, I can't change. And I'm saying, our message is God can do anything. <laughs> our message is, it doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter how bad you've sinned. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Nothing is impossible with God. <laughs> the truth is that God can do anything. <laughs> that God can change you. He can change me. He can change them. He can change anybody. And all it takes is to believe. If you believe this mountain can be removed, this mountain will be removed. And nothing... <laughs> shall be impossible to you. And what I'm getting at is this, is that sometimes people are like, you're against something. Like, no, we're for. 
We are for the fact that God has sent us with a message. And that message is, nothing is impossible with God. So no matter what happens in your life, you know, if you're living in some kind of sin, like I, I hear sometimes Christians say, I'm stuck in pornography. Let me tell you something. You're not. What well, feels like it? Well, I don't know that. We all know what that feels like to feel stuck. But the Bible says that sin will not be a master over you. <laughs> so the only reason sin's mastering you is because you believe it. And if you believe it, you've empowered something that Jesus disempowered. Uh, and listen, I'm not saying that it won't be hard. I'm not saying that you, you know, you're just like, okay, I believe it. I'm out of pornography. I believe it. I'm out of this sexual sin, whatever it is. I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm just saying you'll win. I'm saying ultimately you will win. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die for you. He died as you. And when you receive him, you are born into a new kingdom. You no longer have hereditary sin. You have hereditary righteousness. You know when you go to the doctor and they go, okay, so let's see, did your father have a heart condition? No. Did you, is there any diabetes in your family? No. When they get all done, the doctor's like, you've never had anything go wrong in your family? No, because my dad is Jesus. I don't have hereditary diseases. I have hereditary righteousness. I have hereditary blood in my body. You, are, you, are you seeing where I'm going? I'm saying, I'm saying that you, we receive righteousness by faith. When I tap into faith, when I tap into, when I by faith tap into Christ, how many understand that everything that held me is now able to be broken? Chains are able to be broken. The truth of the gospel is anyone can change. So I just want you to know, like, the message that we're carrying that we've been commissioned to greater works shall you do when I go to be with the Father. I don't want to live in a state that takes away people's hope and also takes away freedom of choice because it is by the freedom of my will that I actually come into a relationship with Jesus and it's by my will that I actually change. And if I say, I don't want to be like this anymore and I tap into Christ, how many know I can change? When I... When I was a boy, I've told this story many times, but when I was 15 years old, my mother was laying on the couch and she had psoriasis covering her entire body. We had a prowler at our house almost for a year. My, my mother had just uh, divorced my, my first stepfather, uh, who was a very violent alcoholic. And, uh, and my mother was sleeping with a shotgun because the prowler had gotten in our house twice. I was sleeping with a 22 rifle and he had the prowler had gotten into my house the day before this thing I'm about to tell you about. He'd got into my window, very old house built in the late, in the early 1900s. He'd got into my window and got into my room. I saw a shadow of him. I pulled my gun out. I yelled. He jumped out the window. I took a shot at him. Never, I didn't hit him. Thank God. And the next night, I was laying awake, the oldest of three children, didn't know if there was a God. I wasn't raised to, I actually wasn't raised to not believe in God. We just never served God. We never went to church. I never read a Bible. And I said out loud, if there's a God, if you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are and I'll serve you the rest of my life. And an audible voice said, my name is Jesus Christ. You have what you requested. I woke the next morning. I was eager to wake the next morning and go to the breakfast table. And when I got there, my mother was completely, her psoriasis was completely gone. It covered her much of her body. About a week later, the voice came back. I've only heard the audible voice of God twice in my life, and both times is before I knew him. The audible voice came back about a week later and said, my name is Jesus Christ. You said that if I healed your mother, you'd serve me, and I'm waiting. It was three years later that my girlfriend now wife, found Jesus. We received Jesus in this Jesus movement with a bunch of hippies. We were the only ones who showered in those days. (laughs) Maybe to this day is why my nose doesn't work. I do not know. But we weren't hippies. 
but we were saved among the hippies. And this young man said, does anyone want to receive Jesus in, in this house full of hippies? And we had looked for three years. And my girlfriend raised her hand. That's me. She was 15. I was 18. I raised my hand. I said, she's doing it. I'm doing it. And we received the Lord together that night. Kind of funny story. The young man who was leading worship, who, asked to, who, who led us in the sinner's prayer, came over afterwards and sat down on the floor with us. And he talked to us about being born again. Very simple. It was probably not more than 10 minutes long. And then he said, you're like a new baby. And you need a father. And he brought over two men, maybe three years older than us. And he said, which one of these men do you want to be your father? <laughs> I just took the better looking one. <laughs> a funny part of the story I don't tell very often is, is that he said, would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I'm like, I don't know. He said, well, you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, okay, we'll take that too. Seriously, didn't know anything about anything. So he said, well, I'll pray for you, and you're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. So three or four people still sitting on the floor, the hippies came. You had to overcome the smell to get the Spirit. I think it was really important for that. So they prayed for us to receive the Holy Spirit. And while they were praying, my girlfriend's like, I'm like, We get in the car, we're driving, I'm driving her to her house, which is in Fremont, it's a half an hour drive, and all the way there, she's like, home, she's like, oh, this is so cool. I'm like, she's doing this, oh, oh, Holy Spirit, come. I'm like, shut up. It was a year. We went every week, and every week she sha-da-da-da-da, and every week I sha we got married actually it was two years because it was we were married and we were i was in the bedroom we'd always like she'd go in the front room and pray and i would it was our habit to pray before we go to work so i'm in the bedroom leaning kneeling on the bed and just praying and i was praying and i don't remember what i was praying for but suddenly i'm like shut up <laughs> jesus thank you shut up I come running out of the bedroom. I'm like, watch this. Shut up. I got it. I was so anxious to go, so excited to go back to our hippie meeting, you know, because they're like, when they, everybody, when they sing, they sing, shut I'm like, and I'm like, mostly I was going, da, 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 while everybody's worshiping in the spirit. I'm like, da, 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 da. I can't wait to get to the meeting so I can shabba with them like for the first time. <laughs> and the Lord, I tell you that story because the Lord began to take a very, very broken person. And piece by piece, over really a long time, began to put me back together. And that's why I'm so adamant, like, if God can do it for me, he could do it for you. He could do it for anyone. Why don't you stand? I want to just pray for you. There's people who are watching by Bethel TV. My goal for, this, for tonight is that you would have hope. Whatever you're going through, that you would leave like, hey, God's going to fix this. Hey, God can do this. And I really would want you to meditate and pray for Kim Young. Because I, I really do believe, like, this, you know, we all know, like, this isn't a done deal. And sometimes uh, very broken people struggle moving forward. So I think it's really important that we, we, we see the beginnings of revival. And sometimes we end up with victory without occupation. So it's really important that we pray for him and for his country, because this could be one of the most wonderful miracles in modern history. But secondly, I want to say 
to you and to you who are watching at Bethel TV. If you have something going on in your life that you, you need a miracle in, maybe you're struggling with same-sex attraction we've been talking to, and you, you're like, I don't, I don't want this, but it, I struggle with it. Or maybe you're struggling with some kind of an addiction, and you heard me say, it's not that big a deal. I, I'm not trying to play it down. We all know what it's like to struggle. The Bible says there's no temptation except common for all of us. In fact, the really cool thing about Jesus says that he was tempted in everywhere. So the Hebrew writer is making the point that Jesus has compassion. He understands. And I, I hope that you didn't take that as non-compassionate, but as full of hope. Because that's the way it meant. But if that's you, you're struggling with anything. And, and I, I mentioned some sexual things, but you, you may be struggling with some kind of physical thing in your body or finances that never get well. I, I just heard something in my mind just one second ago that we'll always be in this financial situation. My grandfather was poor, my father was poor, and I I feel like the Lord wants to break even that. He wants to bring, you know, that expectation that it's never going to get better. Like we give, we do everything we're supposed to do, but it's never going to get better. Whatever situation you're in, I would just like you to raise your hand. We're going to have prayer teams in a minute, but I really, I love when the prayer teams minister to you, but I also like when we just do body ministry. If you're watching by Bethel TV, I just want to say to you, like, God is with you, and, and he's breaking things off of people right now. He's breaking addictions. He's breaking uh, false identities off of you. He's bringing confidence to, your, to you to your, in your marriages and, in, and with your children. And I want to say, I feel like there's people watching. You're like, I'm a bad mom. It's like, no, no, you're a good mom. <laughs> you're a good mom. You're not responsible for the way people respond, even your children just do the right thing and just wait and wait on the Lord and he's going to turn that around. Thank you, Lord. I feel like the Lord is breaking like deception off of people. Lies and deception, even about your identity. I think there's false identities in here that have been affirmed by other people. Like that's who you are. It's like, no, that's not who you are. You are who Jesus says you are. You know, it's quiet in here, but some, some really powerful things are happening tonight. I can feel it in my spirit. The Lord's shaking things off of people that have been on you for generations. Nothing is impossible with God. Listen to it in your spirit. Nothing is impossible with God. Listen to this verse. Whatever you ask me in my name, it shall be done for you. Did you get that? Whatever you ask me in my name shall be done for you. You know, some of you haven't got your prayer language, and tonight you're going to come up, and the prayer team's going to pray for you, and you're going to be like, shaba ba 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 like, what is that? Whoa, I received that for myself. And you're going to get it without having to endure the smells and all that kind of stuff, so that'd be even more profound in your life. Lord, I just bless what you're doing in here. And Lord, I thank you that nothing shall be impossible with God. And Lord, I pray that you make mindsets off of people that have been even generations deep, And Lord, that you would expose us to the lies we've been taught, even identities that have been affirmed in us. Lord, we pray that you would break those things off of us, names we've been called, things that have been curses that have been spoken against us. Lord, I pray that you would just begin to break off those things, that they would literally fall off. I saw the Lord shaking the planet earlier tonight, and I felt like things were just going to fall off of you. I remember several years ago, I'm going to tell you this quick story, but keep, keep holding hands. There, several years ago, I was in YWAM, and this guy kept interrupting me and saying, every time I said something, every time I taught something, he, said, he would say, I don't believe that. And he did it for four days. He probably interrupted me 20 times. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. So but the, the fourth day when I, I was walking to, to I, was, I was staying in a cottage right next to where I was teaching, and on my way there, I was having anxiety, like, this guy's going to say, I don't believe that. And, you know, when you only have 50 people in the room, it's kind of deterring, you know? So I had this picture of me grabbing him and shaking him while I was walking. I didn't know it was the Lord or not. So I thought, well, I'm just going to go for it, see what happens. So I get in the room, I talk for about a half an hour, and sure enough, he said, I don't believe that. I said, stand up, sir. Come here. So he came over to me, and I grabbed him, and I shook him. I didn't hurt him, I just shook him, and I said, the Lord wants to shake that doubt off you. And he was shaking him and shaking him. And he's like. (laughs) He didn't do it the rest of the session. 
The last day, day five, on Friday, he comes up to me and he says, oh, do you remember I was very doubtful when I was teaching? I'm like, yeah, I do recall that. He said, when you shook me, he said, this is his words, he said, when you shook me, something fell off of me. I shook other people after that. It didn't have the same result, but... <laughs> and I just see the Lord shaking people into a new dimension. Like, just shaking doubt off of people. Just shaking generations of bad thinking off of people. Shaking off what your father called you, your brother called you, your people in your school called you these terrible things, and you just took them on. Lord, I just pray right now that you would just shake it right now, that you would shake it off of them, that you would shake doubt off of them, that you would shake bad identities off of people, that you would shake curses off of people. Lord, even curses that are on family lines and family lineages. People say, well, I'm Irish. That's why I have a bad temper. It's like, I break that off of you. Jesus says you have control over your spirit. In Jesus' name, I just break things that people repeat over and over that are just natural things that they repeat and it just gives them permission to act like idiots. Lord, I just release people from the idiot mentality, including myself. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them, come on, this is the truth. That you would, that you would have control over your spirit, that you would walk in righteousness, that you would walk in nobility. You are not a liar, you are a truth teller in Jesus' name. You are not stuck in sexual sin. You are a child of the king. You are a noble daughter. You are a noble son. You were born for purity. You were born for righteousness. You were born for holiness. Lord, I just thank you for that in Jesus' name. You are not a victim. You are not powerless. I don't care how many things that have happened to you. You've been victimized, but you are not a victim because you're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. Lord, I pray that people would rise up in a new identity. They would realize, I am a royal son. I am a royal daughter. I've been called with destiny and purpose. I've been endowed with power. I am supposed to do greater works. Everything I ask, Jesus does for me. I'm a child of God, and my daddy likes me. That's the truth. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let me say it again. We can't shut up because you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's a good word right there. If I could have the prayer team come up, I want to ask a question tonight. If you're in here and you don't know the Lord, just stay standing just for a minute. You just be another couple of minutes. If you don't know the Lord, you've come here and you don't know the Lord. Or, you know, what, what I feel is, I feel there's some folks here that you've known the Lord, but you, you've wandered off. You got off the path and you're kind of like Peter when Jesus rose from the dead. And you're like, I'm going fishing. I'm just kind of going back to what I know. And if that's you, it's not by coincidence that you're here in church tonight. And like, my brother told me to come. Yes, yes, but you came because the Holy Spirit actually told you to come. And if that's you, I'd just like you to raise your hand. Like, I'm here tonight because I want to get reconnected with God in the deepest place. If that's you, would you raise your hand? That's good, right here. God bless you. Thank you for being courageous. I feel like God's like creating some kind of relationship reconnection to you too. And I, I just want to say that, welcome to the family. And is there someone else you would you like right there, right back there? Oh, good. Yes, I see in yellow shirt. Beautiful. We just bless you. We bless you too. Thank you right here, this young lady. We bless what God's doing in you. We bless what God's doing in you. In you. Back here, well, I just bless you too. I just thank you for what God's doing in you. There's somebody else. Right here, we just bless what God's doing in you right now. We bless what God's doing in you right now. We're going to have you come up, but I, those, there's about six people or seven. Would you just lay your hands on them if you're right there? We don't usually do this, but I feel like we're supposed to. Just lay hands on the folks that raise their hands around you. There's a gentleman. Very good. I, 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 just lay your hands on them. I'm going I'm I'm to pray, but I want you to put your hands on them. 
Lord, I thank you right now that you have set these people free. That you have literally brought them into the kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you would break every kind of thing that's against them off of them. And they would leave here, as we say, free as a bird. Lord, that literally, that they would have so much peace. They'd be like, whoa, this is better than any drug I've ever taken. I've just prayed for the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That would just, it would just come on you right now. And he would deliver you from every circumstance. And the next seven days, every one of you that raised your hand, you would say, this is the best life I've ever had. This, I didn't even know life could get this good. I pray that God would restore your relationships. That God would restore, this, this verse came to my mind, that God would restore your fortunes. I don't know if somebody stole money from you or, or maybe your inheritance, but I feel like the Lord's even doing court cases that he's restoring your fortunes back to you. And some, someone's getting their children back. And Lord, I just bless what you're doing to these people in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.